Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for life today. How thankful we are that you are the owner of all things and the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And we are thankful that you have entrusted us as managers, as stewards of your stuff. And as we go through this class today and through this week, help us to come come away with uh, a fresh commitment to that role as stewards. And please teach us the things we need to know and give us the courage to fulfill your plans. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started here. I won't lock anybody out, but... Well, you are at the Financing Yourself class, so hopefully everybody is in the right place, right? Yes. I know not everybody quite knows what we're going to be talking about, but this week we're going to be talking about all sorts of things. Today we're going to be taking a look and we're going to be talking about what is money. We're going to talk about the the United States, how wealthy we are, how unwealthy we are, and how we kind of fit into that picture. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about, um, how many of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey before? We're going to talk a little bit about Dave Ramsey. We're going to talk about some of his ideas. Um, The General Conference has also put out nice resources called Faith and Finance. We're going to incorporate a lot of those ideas all week. So if you come today and you haven't heard something that you were just dying or hoping to hear, don't worry, we have all week to talk about it. Um, If there's a particular topic you really want to know, let's talk afterwards. And I can tell you, you know, maybe we're going to be looking at that on Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. If there's a particular thing that you really want to make sure you hear, um, make sure that you get to that one, okay? Let's go ahead and get started here. Tell you a little bit about myself. Um, There's a picture of me and my family up there. Uh, I have like this portrait of myself that looks all professional and whatnot. And my wife's like, you can't use that because it's not cool. You don't look cool in it. So um, she emails me the picture and says, you got to use this picture. So uh, it's a picture of my wife, my two little boys. I have a six-year-old and I have a three-year-old. This was taken last fall up at Silver Lake. Um, They're actually up here at camp meeting. So I probably have one of them across the hall here. And our other one's out in the primary class. So I am a licensed certified public accountant in the state of Michigan. Um, previously, I worked nine years of, um, in public accounting, so mostly all on the audit side. So I have a lot of audit experience. Um, I do have tax experience, but I'm not a tax expert. Disclaimer, big disclaimer there. So if you want to come and ask me about your super detailed tax question, I might say, I just don't know. <laughs> um, but um, my audit experience, a lot of you are familiar with a couple of the places I've audited. Um, We used to do a lot of work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Um, so I have audited the General Conference Auditing Service. They come and do the audit for GLA here, and then we do the audit on top of them. So I've actually audited GLA, about 17 other academies all across the the nation, and um, also the General Conference itself. So I've been out to the General Conference, done a couple of years of auditing uh, on top of GCAS out there as well. So um, it's always always fun to get out there and see everything that they have and learn more and more about the church's finances because I'm a nerd like that. Mm-hmm. Currently, though, I am the assistant controller, assistant treasurer for Centurion Medical Products. Uh, that's out. We're based out in Williamston, Michigan. We are a national uh, medical supply company, medical device manufacturer. We have plants in Howell, Michigan, uh, Salisbury, North Carolina, and then we also have a, a wholly owned subsidiary out of Mexicali, Mexico. So um, doing all sorts of uh, fun accounting work, nationally and internationally. They were a client of, of mine, and uh, about 18 months ago they needed extra help, so I actually left public accounting to go work for them. 
I am also currently the treasurer for the Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. I have been for about the last five years, so I'll just give you a little bit more about me. I've served as an elder, an adventurer leader, a children's ministries assistant, a VBS actor. Um, I know that's, that's real important with finance, right? But um, you know what? When, when you got little kids and your wife's the personal minister, or the, not the personal, the children's ministries leader, you are the, uh, definitely the de facto assistant. So, um, and there's always need for acting. So anyways. But I'm also a general personal finance enthusiast. I really, really enjoy this stuff. I spend a lot of time reading blogs. I love reading the books on it. Uh, I love learning more and more. Sometimes I feel like I hit this dry spell where I can't learn anymore and then I find something else. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know this. And so hopefully this week what I can do is I can share some of these things with you. Hopefully you can get fired up. Hopefully we can answer your questions and we can take care of any problems that you might be having in your life, okay? Let's go ahead and get started. Today we're going to talk about where does all the money go? And that's what we're going to focus on. How rich is the United States of America? How rich is the United States of America? Well, we're the fourth largest country by landmass. That means something, right? We got all this space, tons of space. Russia, Canada, China, number one, two, and three, but the United States falls in number four. So just by sheer space, we have a ton of land. We're the number two country with the most natural resources. It valued at $45 trillion. Number one is Russia at 75. Definitely rich. We're the number one largest economy in the world. $17.9 trillion. That's what the US GDP is. So GDP stands for gross domestic product. So what that means is that if you take the total value of what the United States produces in goods and services in a year, that's what that means, $18 trillion. Look at this, number two is China, $11.4 trillion. Number three, Japan at $4.1. Germany at $3.3. United Kingdom at $2.8. You can add up number three through five, and the United States is still larger than them combined. So definitely, the United States is a land that is truly wealthy. We are ranked number nine, the richest country in the world in 2014. And the USA is estimated to have a net worth of $118 trillion when you include human capital in that number. Staggering, isn't it? Those are big numbers. I had to abbreviate it because it wouldn't have fit very well on the screen going all the way across all of the commas. We have a military spending budget of almost $600 billion in 2015. That is more than the next 10 largest countries combined mind-boggling how much money we have and how much we spend in the United States. Our federal government has a spending plan of $3.8 trillion each year. That's more than, what did we just see, Germany at number four? Their entire economy produces 3.3 of goods and services a year. The United States, just our government alone, spends that much money. The median price of a home in the United States is almost $190,000. 32% of the population held a bachelor's degree or higher in 2013. Just to put that in perspective, in 1890, our country awarded almost 16,000 bachelor's degrees. In 2009, 1.6 million bachelor's degrees were awarded. Truly, the United States is a country that is wealthy and rich. Look at this. The median household income, $52,000. 
in 2014. The average household income, $72,000 in 2014. These are big numbers, right? In 1901, just to put this in perspective of how, how far the United States has transitioned, there were only 10,000 motor vehicles in the United States. In 2008, there were 236 million. That means we have enough cars for not only for every citizen to have one, but for some of them to have more than one. We can't even, I don't know about you, can you drive more than one car at a time? I mean, I can't. In 1945, there were fewer than 10,000 televisions in the United States. In 2008, there were almost three televisions per American. Truly, we've advanced not only with money, but we've advanced with technology as well. But I have a question for you today. Is the United States really rich? Is it really rich? What do you think? Raise your hand. Yeah, do you think we're really rich? I just showed you three different slides. We're worth $118 trillion with human capital. Yeah, we're kind of like rich in Greece and goods. We think we have nothing. Yep. We th Seriously, we're pretty big. Why is the debt so big? Why is the debt so big? Why have we increased so much, but why do we still feel like we're missing something? Aren't we like $20 trillion in debt? Aren't we like $20 trillion in debt? But don't we have all this stuff? We're living beyond our, beyond our means. But I thought we had all this stuff. Look, we have like enough cars for everyone to have more than one. <laughs> Very good. You're already beating me to it. Is the USA really that rich? There's the number we just heard. Our federal debt, $19 trillion. You know, I typed this on the slides maybe about a month ago. I wanted to get you an up-to-date number, but it's already, it's already old. It's already too low. Uh, you can actually go online, Google National Debt Clock, and it's spinning faster than you can even, it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. And this is just what our federal government is spending. This isn't what you and me are spending. This isn't what everybody else is personally spending. That works out to about $59,000 of debt per citizen, $159,000 of debt per taxpayer. Of course, we have more citizens than we have taxpayers. Not everybody is a taxpayer. But that's a huge number. So if you pay taxes, didn't anybody pay taxes last year? Yay, congratulations. You're $160,000 in debt before you even started out. We have $101 trillion in total unfunded liabilities. Very controversial number, but it's very, very true. So if you were to take the value of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, all the promises that our country has made to other countries, its citizens, our citizens, and if you were actually to put a number on that, $101 trillion is what you'd have to have in the bank in order to make good on all those promises. Now, we spend a lot as a government, $3.8 trillion, but is it anywhere close to $101 trillion? It's not even close. $846,000 per taxpayer. So you thought you were bad at $160,000, right? Now let's talk about the stuff that's not on the books. You're almost a, a negative millionaire. <laughs> $6.1 trillion of debt is held by other countries. That can be alarming, isn't it? The richest 1% of Americans actually own 35% of the wealth in this country. Just 1% hold 35%. The richest 20% own 85% of the wealth. 
So I'm just looking at some numbers here. So if we were just to block up our room here, if we have our, our four folks right here, I think that's probably about right. They control 85% of the wealth. The rest of you, you get to fight for that 15%. That's how our demographic is broke up in America. $712 billion in credit card debt. That's $15,000 per household in 2015. I'm not going to ask any polls or anything in this class to see where you're at. That's the average. $8.1 trillion of mortgage debt. That's $165,000 per household. So we saw just a little bit ago that the average price of the home in America is $188,000. So then that means $165,000 is debt. So we don't have a lot of equity in our homes even. It's all, it's all mortgage financed. $1 trillion in auto loan debt. That's about $26,000 per household. Um, I know some, some cars are 50,000, some cars are 10,000. You start doing all the, the averaging out and it works out to about 26,000 per household. Here's a real staggering number though. $1.2 trillion in student loan debt. That's $47,000 per household. This number is very concerning to a lot of economists right now. You know, one of the most concerning things about student loan debt is that you can get the loan from the federal government, but you cannot get rid of the loan even in a bankruptcy. You can get rid of credit card debt. You can get rid of mortgage debt. There's all sorts of ways to get rid of other debt, but student loan debt is with you until you die. Cannot go away. I actually have a story about this. Um, I was in public accounting and we had hired on a new associate. And um, he went to Michigan State University. I'm not knocking schools or anything like that. Don't disclaimer on everything, right? And um, he, was, uh, he was a member of the crew team. That's the rowing team. And uh, lived in the frat house. Um, did the whole nine yards, the whole college experience at a Big Ten University. He walked out of MSU. He did it all in four years, so he wasn't one of those students that took you know, 12 years to go to college. But he walked out in four years, and he owed $106,000 thousand dollars for an accounting degree <laughs> I remember when he told me that I was like Ugh. I was just shocked that it costs that he spent so much and he you know, he's standing there talking to me he's like I don't even know where it all went like that I'm like dude that's a lot of Qdoba you were eating across the street or something but uh <laughs> he yeah it was all gone so we start looking at the math with him and um, you know he was an entry-level accounting accountant so he wasn't doing terrible, but half of everything he made, half of everything he made, had to go to pay for student loans for the next 15 years. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. Does it sound like freedom to you? I told him, I said, I hope you had a really good time in college because you paid a lot for that. He wasn't going to be able to get a house anytime soon. He actually had a fiance and was, he's like, I don't even know how I could, you know, possibly bring anything to this relationship financially other than a huge load of debt. So it's very, very uh, troubling for him. So if you get paid twice a month, one of his checks went to loans. The other check he could actually keep. Based on the numbers he had going there, he would actually have been living in poverty. $7.25 is the current federal minimum wage. That works out to about $15,000 annually if you can work all 40 hours a week. U.S. poverty level thresholds in 2015, one person. If you're a one-person family, 12,000, two-person, 15, three-person, 20, four-person, 24,000. So you can imagine the single mom that is able to find 
full-time work at minimum wage, makes 15,000, two kids, 20,000, already in poverty. 46.7 million Americans are in poverty in 2014. 46.7 million. Population is 236 million. So, is the United States really, really wealthy? It's a tough question, huh? It sure doesn't seem like it. But is it only the United States? Is it only the USA? Here's a list of our most indebted nations in the world. The United States isn't even on the top. Number one, Japan, 226% of GDP. Remember we talked about GDP, the value of what the entire country produces in goods and services in a year. Japan would have to work, they'd have to take everything that they produce and make for two point, what, three years in order to pay off their debt. Zimbabwe, 202%. Greece, have you heard about Greece in the news at all and their financial problems? 161% of GDP. Dot, 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 dot. Number 15, we hit down to the United States at 103% of GDP. Japan, let's take a look at them for a second. Have you heard about them in the news at all lately? I read the Wall Street Journal every morning because I find it very interesting, and like I told you, I'm a nerd with finance. They are at, have actually introduced negative interest rates. Negative interest rates. So, I mean, what are we getting in our bank accounts right now? 0.000001% or something like that, you know? You know, you know I'm, a, I'm a corporate controller, and I'm looking at millions of dollars in a bank account, and I'm shaking my head when I get the monthly statement, and like, wow, we made $120 this month. But at least we're not like Japan, where we're actually paying for the privilege to put our money into the bank. <laughs> See, this is what happens when you have no economic growth for 20 years. You start doing things that are radical, that have never been seen before in world history. Negative interest rates. Janet Yellen, the federal chair, chairman right now, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve, has said that this isn't going to happen in the United States, but it's in Europe now, it's in Japan, it's something to keep in mind. Of course, we have Zimbabwe. This is an interesting situation of currency hyperinflation. I'll actually pass this around. I was in Zambia about, um, start hearing, pass, pass these around. I was in Zambia, my sister-in-law was a medical missionary over there for about six months, so my wife and I went to visit her over Christmas. And Zambia is on the Zimbabwe border, so we were able to go and actually visit with her. And I picked up this currency, I paid like $5 and a couple pairs of white socks or something to get them as a souvenir. Because their, their, uh, their money was inflating so fast that they're printing $100 trillion notes. They, the money couldn't be produced fast enough for how fast the cost of things were rising. Um, this money that we're passing around actually has an expiration date on it. The money would expire, and this is a $100 billion note. <laughs> so, you know, I felt pretty rich. I have two of them, so I'm worth $200 billion Zimbabwe dollars, which probably couldn't really buy a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> it's the worst case in world history of hyperinflation. It's an inflation rate of 796 billion percent in 2008. I had to type the word billion because it wouldn't fit with a percentage sign. Very interesting. Of course, Greece. I know some of us had said we'd heard about Greece. They're basically bankrupt, right? They couldn't make the payments. These are, this is a, a sovereign nation. Can't make the payment. Needed bailouts from other Eurozone members. 
major riots though, resisting spending cuts. Can't afford what they have, but nobody wants to give in. Nobody wants to give anything. Does it sound like things that could be happening here before long in our country? So how did things get this way though? How did things even really get this way? Well, I'm going to propose to you today that I think it's consumption attitudes. I think it's a concept of living for the here and now only. Living in a materialistic culture. Impulsive spending habits. Lack of financial education. You know, praise the Lord that everybody is in this room today because it means you care about financial education. Little to no self-discipline and a lack of self-control. You know, 90% of personal finance is behavior. Only 10% of it is really like what's in your brain and what's math. It's really quite easy when you really boil it down. But it's getting control of ourselves that's the hard part. And it always is. It doesn't matter what it is in life. Getting control of ourselves is always the hard part. So let's talk about consumption attitudes for a second. Consumer spending in the United States accounts for about 70% of the U.S. economy. 70%, not big business, consuming. 32% of household income is spent on housing. 12.3% of household income is spent on transportation. 5.4% of income is spent on entertainment. And then what really kicks me here is only 3.7% is spent on charity, giving to churches and not-for-profits. We spend more on entertainment in America than we do on giving to causes of God or to even not-for-profits. Living for this here and now, we have savings rates. Check out these savings rates in our countries. 13% for those of us over age 55, 6% for those 45 to 54, 3% 35 to 44, negative 2% for anyone under the age of 35. How do you have a negative savings rate? Use debt pretty much to buy everything, right? So you spend everything you get, and then you get a credit card to spend the rest. We live in a very payment-minded culture. Payment mind. How many of you have gone into a car dealership in maybe the last, even the last five years to, to buy a car? I know I have. Yeah. What's one of the questions that the dealer wants to ask you first off? How much can you afford? How big of a payment do you want? Do they ask you like, you know, this car is going to be $20,000 or $30,000? Like, no, what, how big of a payment can you afford? How about uh, everything's payment-based, right? Payment-based. And when we think about life in those payment-type situations, this is why things actually start to cost so much in our economy. Because if we can afford $3 more, it makes the actual price of the object go up another $3,000. Materialistic culture, 12.7, that's the magic number. The average number of credit cards per U.S. household. The amount the U.S. spends annually on imported toys, $23.6 billion. That's more than the next 10 highest countries combined. I think the United States has something where they like to spend more than the next 10 highest combined. One in 11 American households own self-storage space. That's up 75% from 1995. The storage industry produces more revenue than Hollywood. Storage space. 
So we're buying all this stuff. We don't even have anywhere to put it. So we go store it. And then we pay for it again and again and again to be stored. Impulsive spending habits. Over 90% of people who shop today make occasional impulse purchase, purchases that they didn't intend to buy initially. Have you ever made an impulse purchase? I'm putting both my hands up. Totally guilty. We all are. 90%. Up to 20% of the average household's grocery bill comes from items that were purchased on impulse alone. I didn't, um, I remember this, and I'm being recorded, so I hope my parents never hear this story, but I, I remember going to the grocery store. We were, my, my parents were always big Meyer fans. My mom was especially. And I remember the time we rolled out with two grocery carts full. And I remember being coming home and my dad seeing us pull in. He's like, what was the total? And I'm like, I'm not telling you. Because <laughs> I know that a lot of the stuff that went into those carts were not things we were even going to be eating. <laughs> the average person over the course of a lifetime will spend over $110,000 on impulsive purchases. Just think if we could rein in 80% of that to ourselves. We could send a kid to college, we could pay off a house, we could buy cars, we could finance all sorts of causes in our churches just with controlling our impulses alone. The primary reason why an impulse purchase is made though is because it makes somebody feel better, right? We've all done this, we all know it's true. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, buy it, I feel good. Then you leave it in your trunk for three days and you forgot about it, right? A lack of financial education in America. FINRA, 2012 study. FINRA is a, a governmental agency that regulates the financial markets. Not markets, but the industry. Asked five multiple choice questions and only 39% answered at least four correctly out of 26,000 people. That, and that was actually down from 42% being able to answer it three years before that. Questions covered basic items like interest calculations, mortgage payments, and investments. Only 39%. 28% of consumers learn finance from their parents. How many of you learned finance from your parents? Do you remember? Yeah, a lot of us. I did too. And we're not knocking our parents, but it's just how it works, right? We also, I mean, we learn spiritual things from our parents. Everything we've learned really comes from our parents for the most part. Only 5% of people said in this survey that they were taught by a teacher. Only 5%. So you can see why we struggle with things like this in America. We just don't learn it. 40% would give themselves C's, D's, and F's on their grasps of personal finance concepts. Little to no self-discipline or control. We have a, in America we have this problem, this inability to de delay gratification. A lot of it's because we didn't learn it in younger years of life. Spending makes us feel happy. We like that feeling. Not always, we don't always let our brains do the work. We let our feelings do the work. We struggle with identifying needs from wants sometimes. And we've all done this. We're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of it. We've all done it. Um, but definitely, it's hard. My yeah. father always told me, you're old enough for your wants not to hurt you. Old enough for your wants not to hurt you. Yeah, good advice. I mean, we're unwilling to form positive habits. Do you know that it only takes 30 days to form a new habit? Just 30 days, four weeks. So um, I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, last fall, I had decided, oh, scale is not being so friendly anymore, you know? 
I need to do something. I need to do something. So I decided to start running. And I remember thinking that first week was brutal. Like every time you're running, I'm quitting tonight, you know? Where is the ice cream? And, but you'd hold off and you didn't do it. And then you get to the, past the first week, oh, I lost a pound, yay, you know, this isn't worth it, it's gonna take forever. You get to the second week, it gets a little easier. You get to the third week and you're like, huh, showing some progress, look at this. I'm gonna go buy some running shoes, you know, now you're starting to invest in yourself a little bit more. And you get to the end of the first month and you're like, I am on board, I'm committed, the cookie won't bother me anymore. And you're like gung-ho on it. This is like anything, any sort of habit though we can form, we can do this in 30 days. Whether it be studying our Bibles better, whether it be personal finance and how we spend, it runs the whole gamut. So where does all the money go? It gets spent, right? We spend a lot of it on housing, we spend a lot of it on cars, we spend a lot of it on self. What can we do? What can I do? Well, I'm telling you what, you're in the right place because you care about personal finance education or you wouldn't have come to something like this at camp meeting, right? You wouldn't have been interested at all. This is the right place to come. Learn about personal finance. So let's get started. I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna learn in this course. I know it's kind of a little bit of a teaser of a, of a first presentation, right? We're gonna talk about what money is. We're gonna talk about this today still how it works, and how you can use money appropriately, okay? We're gonna talk about budgeting. Tomorrow we're gonna to talk about budgeting. The whole day is gonna be about budgeting. Ba 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 budgeting Everybody's favorite thing, right? Raise your hand if you love budgeting. There's some, but not a lot, right? But budgeting is really the foundation of personal finance. We have to be able to tell the money where to go if we want it to go where we want it to go, right? We're gonna talk about giving and stewardship. We're gonna talk about that specifically on Wednesday. What is our role as stewards with God's money? Because everything that we touch, it's not ours, it's God's. It's just been given to us to manage. We're just managers. We're gonna talk about stocks and bonds. We're gonna talk about banking and bank accounts. We're gonna talk about loans. We're gonna talk about 401k, 403b, IRA, SEP, IRS, alphabet soup, all those sort of letters that don't make any sense to anybody, but people that wrote those laws, right? We're going to talk about insurance. So we'll, we'll be talking about um, stocks and bonds, banking, loans on Thursday-ish probably. I'm just trying to give you an idea because I know that there's so many different camp meeting presentations. I'd love if you came to every one of them, but my feelings totally aren't hurt. <laughs> if you have a specific topic you want to hear, that's what I really want you to hear. I hope you come all week, but I want you to be able to know when we're doing things. And we'll talk about insurance and we'll talk about the Michigan Conference and how they help out as well on Friday. And we're going to talk about whatever else you want. Okay? If you got questions, happy. My plan is not to take our, our uh, sessions right to the very last second every time because I want you to be able to um, feel free to ask questions. If you have things you want to talk about personally afterwards that you don't feel comfortable about in front of the whole class, I want to make sure you have a chance to do that. That's why I'm here. Okay? Does that sound good? All right, so let's get started. We have just a little bit to talk about today. Am I, am I out of time yet? Am I okay? Okay. What time do we go till? 10.45? So we're blowing right through. What is money? What is it? We talk about it. We all touch it. Have we ever really stopped to think about what it is? Here's the definition of what money is. 
Money is a current medium of exchange in the form of coins and banknotes. That's it. Not much to it. Money replaces the bartering system. Can I get just three people to volunteer? I just will do a quick demonstration here. Can I get three people to volunteer? We'll let Joel come up. Yeah, he's. we'll keep, help keep him awake. Yeah, come on right up. Got Lisa. Lisa wants to come up. Sorry, what was your name? Michelle. Michelle. All right, let's just, let's just have you line up here. One, two, three. Nice, nice row here, okay? All right, so we'll do a demonstration about what money is because it's, I think a lot of us have just never stopped to think about it before. So let's pretend here that uh, Joel is, is not a pastor. Joel is something else. What should Joel be? What should, what his, what should his career be? What's that? A beekeeper. A beekeeper. That's a hobby. That's my niche. You know okay. <laughs> well, we'll let you be the beekeeper. I'll be then. the beekeeper. Okay. okay. Well, let's let's talk about Lisa. What should Lisa be? Let's let Lisa be the teacher. Okay. Let's assume Joel has some kids too. Lisa will be a teacher. Michelle, what do you want to be? I don't know. Let's suppose Michelle is going to be the doctor. Okay. Okay. So we've got a doctor, a teacher. And the beekeeper. beekeeper. And the beekeeper. Okay. So, the beekeeper, he has money. Okay. I'm gonna. Just, this is a Lego. I stole this from my three-year-old last night. Okay. But th this is just the concept that anything can be money. So it doesn't matter what it is. This could be money if we wanted it to, because it's just going to be a medium of exchange. So the money starts with the beekeeper. Okay. Beekeeper has all these kids. He doesn't want him getting stung all day long, right? So what's he do? He sends him where? School. To school. Does the teacher, let's say the teacher has allergies to honey. Does he really have anything that he can provide her then? Not really. But he does have what in his hand? So he can pay her money to teach his kids, right? So he passes it down the line. She's happy. She says, absolutely, I'm glad to take this Lego in exchange for teaching your kids. But something happens. What happens to her? <laughs> oh, she got sick. Does she know how to take care of herself all the way? Nope. So she passes it down to the doctor, right? Doctor really, really, really likes honey. Okay? She's, she's, she knows a lot of... Uh, 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 alternative medical means to treating some of these um, medical problems. So she needs honey for her practice. So what does she do with the money? She passes it. I'll let her do it. She passes it back down to the beekeeper. See, not everybody needed each other's things or services. So all we have done is we've traded our time and we've monetized it into a simple object. And so nowadays, you can sit down. Thank you, thank you. Nowadays, we do it with money, right? Currency. Have you ever heard the word currency before? Currency is just a system of money that's in general use in a particular country. So in the United States, we call that the U.S. dollar. In Zambia, you call it the Zambia, the Zambian kwacha. Canada, it's called the dollar. In China, it's called the Renbini. All sorts of different names for it. In Mexico, you call it the peso. 
So every country has their own type of money, their own type of currency. Virtually all currencies in existence on earth today are called fiat currencies. Can you say fiat? Fiat. And it's not the car that comes from Italy. It's not the car that comes from Italy. Fiat is a Latin term for it shall be. Okay? So, fiat currency. We can make the Lego a fiat currency. Suppose I'm the U.S. government. And I'll say this shall... Um, this is going to be fiat currency. It shall be currency. I've now declared that Legos are money in America. That's it. That's all there is to it. It's backed by the strength of the government that issues it, not its worth in gold or silver. I'll pass these around here for you too to look at. This is, I think, let me see if I got my next slide here. Yes, perfect. There's the U.S. dollar. The dollar bill. Pass this around here. For everyone to look at some of these, should have brought some more. These are a little different. These are older. I'll pass these around. I'm sorry, Gene. Take a look at it and tell me what looks different on it to you. It's older, but it's not very old. And I bet there are plenty of you in the room that have seen it and used it before. You see what's different on the top of it? It's a subtle change that's happened in our currency. And I'm not trying to scare everybody, and I'm not trying to predict the, you know, the financial collapse of the world or anything like that. But there is something different on the top of it. You ever stopped and looked at your money before, what it says on the top? What does this one say on the top? Silver certificate. Silver certificate. But does it look really similar to what's up on the screen? Yeah. What we have in our wallets today and what's on the screen is called a fiat currency. It's backed by nothing but the government saying it's money. What we're passing around is a piece of paper that you used to be able to take to the bank and you could actually exchange it for silver. And it looks just like the dollar. What's the year on it? What's the year on that one you got in your hand there? 1957. Is that a long time ago? This academy was already here when that money was floating around, right? <laughs> Interesting. Federal Reserve note. So the money that we buy, that we use to buy and sell with today, is not backed by anything. It's only money because the government said it's money. It's worth no more than the paper that it's printed on. But we all use it to pass along our services, right? So is yeah. that better than to buy the silver like a lot of people are doing, or the gold or whatever, and just keeping it instead of putting money in the bank? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I know that many of you may not agree with what I say, and that's fine, about gold and silver, but stop and think about gold and silver again, too. Is it worth something because we said it's worth something? Same concept, right? If we all decided that it wasn't worth something someday, would it be worth something? Probably not. Yeah? It would seem to me as times get rougher, what's really worth something is food and water, mm -hmm. or the ability to have food and water. Right, 
Yeah, the, yeah, the, the things that'll be worth something are probably the things that we can use, right? You know, I, I kind of, I spent a lot of time thinking about the gold stuff before in my life. And, uh, you know, I start thinking about it and um, I'm like, am I going to be able to walk into Walmart with a <laughs> $1,500 coin and be able to plunk that thing down? Probably not. So, you know, this is why I love my wife because she always keeps things in context for me. She goes, you worry too much about that kind of stuff. You just need to trust in the Lord and he's going to take, take care of us at the end of time. So... Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, and I'm not a, a prophet or a son of a prophet, so knowing how how it'll all play out in the end, I I don't know, but I just know that. You know, we think about it, we'll try to do our best, we'll be good stewards of what we have right now, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Can you just say a couple words about the political people who talk about going back to the gold standard? Sure. Oh, you want me to? Yeah. Is, is there, what are the implications of all that? Well, if, he's, he's wondering what are the implications if we, if we actually went back to a gold standard. So Richard Nixon took, took us off the gold standard fully. 1964. Went on live television, right? If I remember right, well, I wasn't around, but when I remember seeing it, he said, we're all done with it. Why do you think he did it? There wasn't enough. <laughs> we had promised at the Bretton Woods Conference that we would have all this gold, that our currency would be good, and you could use it all over the world. Well, turns out we did a really good job of printing this stuff, but we didn't do a good job about getting the gold to back it. So eventually you get down to where you only have, you know, 10 cents on the dollar of gold. You're like, well, sorry everybody, we couldn't keep our promise. There's, just, But we're still good because we're the U.S. Our money's still good because we said it's good. So, you know, I, and I'm telling you all this not so much because I'm saying, you know, our money's worthless or it's no good or we shouldn't use it anymore. I'm just trying to keep it in context when we talk about money and personal finance that it's just a tool. It's just a tool. What happened recently in Peru that people were rioting for food stuff. In Peru? Yeah. I'm not sure. Still rioting, no food and stuff. Yeah, rioting in Peru. I'm not so sure. I know that happens in probably at least 10 countries every day. So, Well, let's keep going. Um, I don't want to use up everyone's time here. but So um, two weeks ago, I was in Chicago. I was there for a treasury management conference. And this is just a side note because I think it's really cool because, like I said, I'm a nerd on this kind of stuff. And there's a museum at the Chicago Federal Reserve Branch, which you can go to. I believe it's free. And they had a stack that's a million dollars in $1 bills in a cube that's like this big by this big. And it sits there and it spins. Just really interesting to see these kind of things. And actually, when I was there, they were passing out for free I'll pass this around too for you. So if, you, if you're planning your trip to Chicago, here's your promo, you can actually go and they'll, they'll pass out the shredded money. And this thing says on the back that it's, uh, this bag contains 34 bills of mixed denomination, approximate value $364. So um, if you want to take the bag and try and put it all together, I'm happy to split it with you. <laughs> I suspect we'll be talking in a decade or later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's what they do. 
just thought that was interesting. And then from the case, they, they show you different sizes of what it looks like with different bills and you know, a million dollars and hundred dollar bills fits in a small briefcase. So how does money work? How does money work? Does anyone know what the picture of that is up there on the screen? Have you ever seen that on the news? It's always on CBS, it seems, or NBC, or someone's, what is it? It's the Federal Reserve. It's the bank of banks in the United States. It's the government's bank. Federal Reserve is the bank of the US government and regulates the nation's financial institutions. It's an independent agency. Yo. Uh, can you differentiate between that, the Treasury and the Federal Reserve? Yeah. Federal Reserve gets to print the money. The Treasury is in charge of dispersing and collecting the money. Does that make sense? Well, let's keep talking. Maybe I'll help you out here. So the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, okay? It, um, which means it makes its decisions on its own. It doesn't need approval from any branch of government. It's constantly explaining itself. Have you ever seen Janet Yellen before, or Ben Bernanke, or Alan Greenspan? They were the, um, they're the chair people of the Federal Reserve. Two of them are retired. They have to constantly explain themselves, but they are pretty much independent. Their job is to regulate the money supply in the United States. Okay? It's not, I believe it's nine. Right, right. And when one of them speaks, usually um, if you see the stock market, the Dow Jones go down for the day, it's probably because the chairperson said something that didn't sound so great to the markets. That's an enormous amount of power that somebody has with just their words. Um, the world listens to the Federal Reserve. Very interesting. So the question that was before, what is the difference between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, um, other than that they're physically in a different spot in Washington, D.C., is um, the Treasury Department is in charge of actually kind of like overseeing the IRS. So they bring in the money, and then they're also in charge of spending the money when the federal government buys things. Okay? Yeah? I've heard that our government pays um, and that company basically make our money, yep. and then we buy the money back. And that's why your dollar says Federal Reserve Note, because it's a debt. It's a debt instrument. We're just passing around our government's debt as money. <laughs> gotcha. So, so the government is buying money from the Federal Reserve? Yep. And we're paying them in. You got it. Yeah, and to print it. Yep. So what a lot of times will happen is when you hit a snag, let me actually get to it here. Let me get to it. It's coming up. I got a slide coming. How does the Federal Reserve work? It's broken up 12 different branches all over the country. Michigan is actually part of the Chicago branch. You can see us right there. Green. That's us. <clears throat> yeah, except the UP. Yeah, sorry to all the, to the UPers there. <clears throat> so it's broken up. Those 12 banks, their job is to keep an ear to the economy, and then they go back to Washington, and then they're supposed to basically come up with the monetary policy for the country at large. That's their job. Federal Reserve is not—it's not a nonprofit. It's a quasi-governmental entity. Makes you feel better about that, right? What's a quasi-governmental <laughs> entity? Can't answer your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The concept behind it is that the, this is the, the big what's supposed how it's supposed to work is the Federal Reserve is supposed to serve 
Um, they're supposed to help regulate interest rates. This is where we're going right now. So this is what the Federal Reserve is supposed to do. If the economy needs to grow faster and create jobs, you remember 2008, 2009, what was going on in our economy? What? Oh, it was terrible, right? People were losing jobs. People couldn't make payments anymore. So the Federal Reserve has two mandates. One, to keep employment as best as you can, and they've defined that as 5% unemployment or better, and to keep inflation low but growing, meaning they want it at 2%. Just That's it. They just want it at 2%. Okay? So their job, when they need to, is the Fed will supply more credit for lending by lowering the interest rates. Okay? So when things get bad, interest rates go down because they're trying to spur people to spend money, to make investment. What's happened, what was interesting about 2008-2009 is that that didn't do enough. For the first time in history, the Fed couldn't do it with just interest rates. They brought it all the way down to zero, basically. And you and me, we're sitting at home saying, I'm not going to spend my money still because we're too scared. If I spend my money, I might not ever get out, I'll lose my job, and then you know, you got this big cycle going on. So what they did is they started buying government securities. So government securities is just the government's debt because you know our government spends what, about a trillion dollars more a year than what it actually brings in, right? So how does all that stuff get bought? Well, they issue loans, they take on loans from everybody, and the Federal Reserve, being able to print money, just buys it. That's all there is to it. So that's how the Federal Reserve and the federal government kind of work hand in hand. See? When the economy is growing too fast and they want to avoid inflation, the Fed supplies less credit for lending. So interest rates do what? They go up because now we're like, man, if I buy that house at 12%, my payment's going to be like $2,000 a month. I think I'll wait. So the Federal Reserve has now affected our behavior and what they want us to do. And it'll make the price of homes no longer skyrocket, but slow. See how that works? Same with cars. And they'll stop buying the government debt. They'll leave the government out to their own. And they'll make interest rates rise and they'll make, rather than the Federal Reserve buying the debts, They'll make you and me want to buy them through bonds, you know, for our kids for education, for college, or to give us gifts or banks. For the average person, though, money, act money interactions are pretty simple. They're usually between our employer, where we earn money. We're trading our time for the money. Between banks, where we store and borrow money. Between stores and suppliers, where we spend money. Between charity, when we give away money, and investment firms, when we invest money. So for you and me, it's not as complicated as the Federal Reserve. It's pretty simple, right? We get it, we save it, we spend it, we invest it, we give it. Big circle, it happens every two weeks, every month, how often you get paid. And how does money work? We have different forms of it. We have cash, we have paper and coins, right? We have checks, which are basically just permission for someone to take money from our bank account. That's all a check is. We have a debit card for electronic payment directly from our personal bank account. Swipe. We have a credit card for electronic payment, but with someone else's money. Right? And then we have loans. Usually when we pay with a loan, it's because it's a payment from a third party. And we're usually buying something expensive, right? Remember if you last time you got a loan for a car, did you uh, you know, let's suppose the car is 25000 Did you get the 25000 from the bank first? Did you ever even see the 25000 No. You never even saw it. 
sign a piece of paper, bank transferred it right to the car dealership, done deal. But what did you end up with though? You ended up with the car and a piece of paper called a loan or a payment book, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much it, right? Can you think of any other ways that we really move money around? It's really such a simple concept when we stop and think about it. So I wanna to talk to you quickly about money and that it's amoral, okay? It has no guiding principles of its own. Is this thing, can this tell you what to do? Not really, right? If you have your Bible with you, I wanted to share a, a verse with you, and I have it up on the screen because I think sometimes this gets misinterpreted. Gets misinterpreted quite often, actually. And, and sadly, it gets misinterpreted by Christians the most. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. I wanted to make sure we at least opened our Bibles once today. We will definitely be opening it more and more in some of our next sessions. 1 Timothy chapter 6, chapter 10. Does anybody have it? Would anybody be willing to read it? Go ahead. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their God greediness and pierced themselves through with many arrows. Right. So, money is the root of all evil, right? No? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. How many times have you heard someone say, the root of, money, or the root of evil is money? Money is the root of evil. Is that what the Bible says? No, it says for the love of money. Dave Ramsey, one of our authors up here that I have a book up here, he actually said, it's all about whose hands the money is in. I really like that quote. Right? It's the love of money. Where does the evil come from? Does it, it's, it's when we're pursuing money just endlessly, right? That's when people get in trouble. That's when the bankers take the risk. That's when people get hurt. That's when people lose their homes, right? When it's the love of money that people are after. Exactly. And that's when money becomes an idol, right? Absolutely. So, what are, obviously, some of these are pretty simple, right? Bad uses of money. Self-indulgence, gratification, uplifting ourselves, despair and helplessness from poor use. I don't know about you. I mean, I've spent money in bad ways before, too. I'm sure we can all relate to this when we do something wrong. Unwilling to help the cause of God. If we're always pursuing it and it's our idol, it's kind of hard to have what? To serve God, right? Cannot serve God and manna. Good uses of money, though, will help strengthen relationships. It will bring a sense of hope and freedom to lives, and it will provide freedom to give generously. I know one of the greatest feelings for me personally is that when I'm able to help when there's a call that's for something big, right? And you know, the call may be, you know, we, we heard it the other night, $700,000. I don't have 700 grand sitting around. I, I doubt many of us do either. But when you can give something to help it, that's a good feeling. So in this course, we want to learn how to have happiness using money. We want to learn how to avoid selfish use of money, how financial freedom can be obtained using money, and how strong character can be developed using money. Does that sound fair? So 
we're going to go over the basics. We're going to go over the nuts and bolts. We're going to talk about, you know, interest rates and bank accounts and IRAs and those types of things, the technicals. But remember, 90% of personal finance is behavior, right? And how we apply it to our lives. Money does not cause these things to happen. It's how we use the money that shows these things in our lives. Okay? We tell the money what to do. Money doesn't. Can this thing tell us what to do? No, not at all. Can we tell it what to do? You bet. So, Dave Ramsey. I asked him and I go, how many of you have ever heard of Dave Ramsey? And he said, all sorts of hands come up, right? Dave Ramsey is a radio show host. You can listen to him on um, mostly AM radio. He's on a lot of uh, traditional sort of Christian radio stations. And um, it's actually a great place to get started. Like if you're learning, how do I get started in personal finance? Dave Ramsey has some great tools out there. Um, won't agree with him on everything, obviously, but um, he definitely has the nuts and bolts out there. He's got a good first start. Um, he actually has a course published called Financial Peace University. And I think we had someone in, in our room back here, right? Yeah, our resident Dave Ramsey expert here. And um, so I went through Financial Peace University probably about 12 years ago. It's a DVD course. You normally sit down with other people. A lot of times our churches will actually offer it and um, teaches the nuts and bolts of personal finance. How to get out of debt, how to save money. Really good, very inexpensive. Um, this is not the book, this is a different book that he had written, but um, I would highly recommend that if you wanted to learn more that you think about looking into some of his things, okay? We're actually gonna, I'm actually, this is on his website, so I feel okay sharing some of his information. I'm not making money on the deal, so it's okay. <laughs> He actually has what's called seven, the seven baby steps of personal finance. And I really think that they're very, very, um, very helpful as we're starting out. His first step is he says you need to take, get $1,000 and start an emergency fund. What's an emergency fund? Unexpected emergencies, right? It's like when I, uh, you know, I need to go on vacation, right? It's unexpected, right? No? What do you mean? I thought Disney was like an emergency. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, you know? How about when the water heater goes to goes down and it doesn't work anymore? Is that an emergency? Unless you like cold water. <laughs> what about when uh, you know the water pump goes on your car? Is it an emergency? It's an emergency if you can't get to work, right? It's hard to keep making money if you don't have a way to get there. His second step, we're going to talk about emergency fund more in just a minute. Second step is to pay off all debt using a debt snowball. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the debt snowball and how it works in with budgeting. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how to get out of debt. Okay? And how to do it smart, how to do it efficiently, and how to do it effectively. Okay? Step three, so after you've completed step one, after you've completed step two, you move on to step three, right? Three, take that emergency fund and you build it up with three to six months of expenses and savings. It's not three to six months of income. It's three to six months of expenses. So you might make 100000 you know, a year, but you're not going to spend a full 100000 right? So it's not as daunting as it seems. Why do you think you would need three to six months of savings anyways? Ah, uh, the big one. 
You think you need six months of, uh, of expenses saved up to fix a water heater? <coughs> Probably not, not unless you've got like some really cool geotherm, solar something, I don't know, but no. Really, you're saving up now for the big thing, the biggest thing that could, a loss of income, which is a loss of a job, right? After you have that built up, you move into investing 15% of your household income into Roth IRAs and pre-tax retirement. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about retirement. That's something like near and dear to my heart. It's one of those things that I, uh, I'm a totally a nerd about, and I always wonder like, what is retirement? Where did it come from? Um, I don't, I don't ever remember seeing retirement in the Bible anywhere. So why do we do it? You know, that's something we're going to talk about, and we're going to study that together. And we're going to see what council has to say on that as well. College funding for children. You want to send your kids to school? I know I do. And I know everybody differs on this too. My wife's like, no, we did it ourselves. we got to let our kids do it you know, by themselves. I'm like, no, we can't do that. So, you know, every household will be different. But um, there's, we're going to talk about ways to do it. Sometimes the answer is not just save up a big pile of cash. Sometimes the answer is save up some cash. Sometimes the answer plus have your kid have a job plus try and get a scholarship, plus this, plus this, plus this. So college doesn't have to be, you know, I need to save up $140,000 to send my kid to school in six years. No, maybe you need to save up $20,000 and do a couple other things, team it all up, and now you have a college plan. Step six on Dave Ramsey's plan is to pay off the home early. Be nice, huh? And the last step, build wealth, and give. Do you imagine if you were all the way through step six, how much giving you could do? Maybe you could be the one to do the 700000 <laughs> Definitely. So let's talk about this emergency fund real briefly here before we wrap up. What is an emergency fund? We already kind of talked about a couple of these things. It's for unexpected events in life that cannot be planned for. Now I'm willing to challenge you. We talked about the car breaking down, right? Do cars always break down? Yeah. Is it Should it really come as an emergency to us when a car breaks down? Oh, I thought my car would last for decades. No. So would we be wise if we were starting to think about ways to save money, knowing, knowing that the car's going to break down again? We don't know when. But is it really an emergency if we're planning for it now? No. Just write the check, get it fixed. Where should it be kept? Where do we keep an emergency fund? It should be easily accessible in a fully insured bank account. Simple, right? Just a savings account. Nothing more to that. Now, there's more things we can do with it, and you can talk to these guys here, the Boggleheads. They'll tell you all the you know six different tiered ways of setting up an emergency fund, but really... What it comes down to is we just need to be able to get to it. We just need to be able to write a check or go to an ATM when we need to pay for something. What should it be used for? I know, I wrote broke down car, but maybe you have a flooded basement. Can you really plan for a flooded basement? Has anyone ever had a flooded basement before? Yeah, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, that's never been me, praise the Lord. <laughs> but that's what the emergency fund's for, I suppose. Um, yeah, can't plan for that, right? not for vacations, it's not for that unbeatable sale, it's not for the RV that's going on sale or the boat that's going on sale in the fall because everyone's trying to get rid of them. 
Those are things we should save up for and buy. This is just for those things that I, we just don't know what it's going to be. Right? Well, I told you we'd get done a little bit early because I wanted to make sure we could answer more questions at the end if you had any. So what are we, a couple minutes early? Cool. I made it to the end. Um, so yeah. Can you simplify it, please? Um, so the United States is in debt and the, the Federal Reserve is buying the debt. Uh-huh. Can you give me like an example of how that would I just can't wrap my mind around how it would work? Okay. So the US government, so let's talk about how the US government works. Okay. So you have the IRS, what's their job? Their job is to bring in money, right? Their job is to bring in money. Whose job is it to spend the money? Yes, our wonderful lawmakers, Congress, right? They're the ones that say we're going to spend it on this, and they dole it out to all the different agencies and departments of the government who actually do the buying, right? So we bring in $2.8 trillion a year through the Internal Revenue Service, right? Our favorite person come April 15th. And then the government sends out $3.8 trillion. So where's that other trillion come from? Loans, okay? So, so the trillion dollars has to come from somewhere. So what the Treasury Department does is they, um, they broker bonds. Have you ever heard of you know, savings bonds? Well, they have other bonds too, and the banks buy them. They're the big bonds. You and me will buy the small bonds, you know, same concept though. So they're gonna go out and they're gonna, Treasury's job is to say, all right, we need to, we need to be able to send out 3.8 trillion, so we need to get this other trillion, okay? So um, they're gonna sell bonds, and banks are gonna buy them, and then there's going to be this gap because not everybody, you know, you just can't get a trillion dollars from just banks, you know. Not everyone's going to buy it. You know, your pension funds, they're not going to buy it. So this is where the Federal Reserve likes to step in. In the Federal Reserve, they'll gobble up that trillion if they want to keep interest rates low, okay. If they don't, they won't gobble up so much. And then the Treasury has to pay a higher interest rate for the bonds that they can't get rid of. See how that, see how that works? <coughs> So that's part of the Federal Reserve's role, and that's what they were doing definitely in the, in the financial crisis is they were coming in when the deficit was just out of control, and they were buying all those, all those uh, government debts. So like when we buy a savings bond, okay, and, and it matures for X number of years. 30 years, yeah. Okay. So is there a maturity um, time frame in these treasury bonds? Yep, yep. So that's the next rule of treasury. The bond comes due, what do they do? They need to pay it off. And do you think they just pay it out of the savings account? They don't have it, so it just gets refinanced, right? So they just sell a new bond. Yep. It is how business, it is a lot how business is run. Yep. I purchased a building and they wanted to give me a 10 year loan on the 20 year amortization. Yeah. 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 That's very common. Kick it down the road, interest only, you know. Why ever pay it off? It's, with inflation, it's gonna be worth less in the future. Yep. I'm gonna make a comment more than a question. We were talking back in the beginning about uh, debt and some of the problems with how debt is accumulated. There's no question about that. But what's interesting is that your last point had to do with student debt. You were talking about how economists are mm -hmm. very concerned about yeah. that. When you, um, I would tell you that that's probably gonna be the biggest challenge that we're gonna face. We're going to face it individually because of the, the kids or whoever they have it. Yeah. But it's going to be a huge impact to the economy because if you're making those kind of payments, 
you're not buying houses, you're not buying cars, you're not buying household goods. Right. The economy slows down. Right. But the, the, I think the thing that I wanted to mention for us here is I think that that's going to be the biggest challenge that we're having as a church. Because the problem is you've got kids, you want to call them that, young people that are coming up, you have that, that size of, uh, of debt and student loan, like you're talking about, you can't get rid of it. Yeah. No way to get, to get around it. And uh, now there's a serious problem with with young families saying, okay, I can, I can pay this debt that I have no way to get out of, or I can pay tithe and offering. Yeah. And we're going to have a big challenge. I think that's the, the single largest challenge we're going to have from a stewardship perspective within the Edifice Church is the high debt that yep. we have with students coming out of college. Yeah. Yep, I think you're exactly on. You know, being in a, being involved in a lot of church financial discussions and being a church treasurer, you know, you can see the demographics of, of how tithes and offerings work, and it's it's not a it's not always encouraging. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just want to make a comment that you know to say it's impossible to get out of this student debt. It's not impossible, mm-hmm. but it does take. It, it is a challenge. Right. But my daughter-in-law. Um, she, she graduated, she worked a year, and she became disabled. Mm. Um, she was losing her eyesight. And uh, that was, oh gosh, about three years ago. And just this year, she was forgiven for student. Mm. Mm. Yep. Disability. Yeah. Yep. disability. Yep. There's a very, very small window of ways to get out of it. And uh, not everybody likes all the, the ways. You know, obviously, we wouldn't prefer to be disabled to get out of student debt. Just like a lot of us wouldn't want to go into the military to get out of the debt. That's another way to do it. Um, but yeah. someone else said that. Are there any realistic options that the government can help out? Or I, once in a while I hear a little something <laughs> for the students. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, a, uh, it's an election year, right? <laughs> so, you know, obviously Democrats have an, an idea, Republicans have an idea, Libertarians have an idea, they all have an idea of how to fix fix the problem. Um, but what I personally think to fix the problem is educating people. Because um, if, you, if you know how to interact with money before you interact with it, you're not going to have the problem, right? You're going to know what to do. Um, you know you're not going to go get the German polka dancing uh, major maybe. If you know it's going to cost you a hundred thousand, but you're only going to make twenty thousand when you're done, you know I'm not saying that college should be the determination of, you know, your career shouldn't determine exactly what you do to make your money, but um, it should definitely be thought about. Yeah. Okay, so if we know that the money is not really worth anything, and if we buy land or a home and we pay it off, we still owe taxes and they can pay it back. All right. Is there anything worth buying with the money that's not worth anything? Yeah. Yep. There's a. There's um. But there is there is an investment that we can all make that will last eternally, right? And we all know what that is. Investing in the cause of God and the work that's before us. But we still have to live, and so yeah. if we have a little piece of land and a small piece of property, or we can grow food for Absolutely. And if that's all we have in life, um, I've been to Nicaragua, I've been to Africa, and I can tell you, having just a little piece of land with a little garden and a little something to call your own, you're blessed more than 95% of the rest of the world. Joe? There's one thing we have to remember. 
as we mentioned at the beginning, we're stewards. Mm -hmm. We don't own any of this. So if you lose it, you haven't lost anything. Right. Because it was God's. Right. So you buy that house, okay, you lose your job, you can't pay the property taxes, and you lose the house, you haven't lost anything. Right. That's God. So if we keep that in perspective, then we don't get on these rampages and these frantic uh, venues where we're just like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? In fear. Well, you know what? You didn't lose anything. If we remember that, that's what's going to keep us calm through the storm. Because the storm's coming. And we're going to, each one of us in this room, probably lost some stuff, quote, unquote. We lost it in 08, whether it be your retirement, sunk, whatever. Or we're going to get to that point again, and what we what we're trying to cling on to is a sinking ship. If we're looking at our finances as that's what I've got to have, because mm-hmm. if I don't have it, I'm not going to make it. No, you got to work on your relationship with Christ. That's what's going to carry you through. Absolutely. It all belongs to Him. You're just a manager. Yep. At the end of the day, well, Lord, you lost the house. You, you, <laughs> you lost a hundred thousand dollars today, Lord. What you going to do about it? It's not your issue. If you are His. Right. I kind of believe that before that happens, though, the Lord will try to sell that out before He can fill it up, because He knows what's coming. So that's where the relationship with Jesus you're open when He says sell, and you see it as Him. He sells, and He fulfills the buyer. And and every heart will be touched differently by the Holy Spirit. Some some may tell you to sell, may tell me not to sell. He may tell you to buy. Exactly. You never know. Yeah, and just that's why it's important that we we just know. Yeah. Back to the, the education. What about all of these things that they tell grandparents to do to buy for their grandchildren's education? You know, years down the road. Like buying what? Like buying savings bonds? Buying. No. Right. What's that? It's like that Gerber joke. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy that stuff. That's just me. I, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten that stuff in the mail before. Um, just because usually the fees are really, they're hidden, they're high. It's not going to grow as much. I mean, if you just want something to grow, just buy an index fund and, you know, open a 529. And we'll talk about this, but open a 529 plan for, for your, you know, your grandkid and put the money there. Well, I, would, I, I wasn't thinking about that, but Michigan offers something, you know, the yeah, the you're talking about like the my, we can talk afterwards. Maybe we're out of time. Yeah, we are. So, um, yeah. But if you have questions afterwards, I'm I'm here. We can chat about fun stuff, the technical details. But otherwise, I really hope to see you all here. I hope you learned something today. And um, tomorrow we'll start digging into budgeting, and we'll start talking about the the details, the stuff that accountants like. Thank you. Let's have a quick word of prayer together, and we'll go ahead and dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much for today. We thank you for watching over us. We thank you that you are in control of truly everything financial. Lord, we, um, we want to be good stewards. That's why we're here. Lord, we want to learn more. We want to make sure that we're wise with what you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would direct our classes together. I pray that you would direct us in our homes and that you would direct our families as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.